Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. We're actually going to look at verses 9 and 10 tonight. That's going to be the main part of our study. We're going to be looking at verses 9 and 10. Um, but I'm going to read to you verses 7 through 10, just to kind of catch you up on the context of where we've been and where we're going to be. Paul says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Now, if you remember, last week we looked at the first part. We looked at verses uh, eight, uh, 7 and 8. Well, we're looking tonight at verses 9 and 10. But before we get into that, I'm going to remind you of the context of where we've been. Paul has just said that God has given gifts to his bride. And then Paul quoted from Psalm 68, verse 18. That's what we were looking at last week. He quoted from Psalm 68, verse 18, where God received gifts from among men. And we kind of touched on how that is those who are his. They're going to be given to him as gifts. And we also thought that, talked about the fact that it could also point a little bit to the Levites who were to serve. And they were a gift to him. They were given from among the nation of Israel to him so that he could dwell with them. If you're, if you're not sure what I'm talking about, go back to last week's study online and listen to it and catch up. But Paul then takes how God received gifts from among men, and he twists it a little bit here and says, and he gave gifts to men. And then if you know in verse 11, look at what he says, and he continues the context, and he, meaning God, gave the apostles, the prophets, and so on. And so in the context here, we see that Paul is taking this passage in, in, uh, from Psalm 68 to, to illustrate what he's trying to teach. There's one body, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, yet... God in His design, in His purpose, has given gifts to men, and He's given gifts to the church at, of men, which we're going to get to as apostles and prophets and so on. We're going to get to that next week. He's given these gifts, as, and He ascended, and He's left these gifts for us so that He would use those gifts that He's given us through us to accomplish His purposes on the earth. Now, verses 8 and 9, I'm sorry, 9 and 10, let's look at what He says here. It says, In saying that He ascended... What does it mean but that he also descended to the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Now, as we follow the flow of Paul's teaching here, we see that what he's doing now is clarifying Psalm 68 a little bit more on his use of that passage. And he says, okay, because he quoted from Psalm 68 where it says, he ascended on, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And now when he goes, when he says, when he ascended, he goes, I got to clarify what I mean when he ascended, because in order to ascend, he had to what first? Descend. He can't, God's in heaven. He can't ascend. There's no beyond that. So in order to ascend, he had to first descend. But look closely at how the English Standard Version here translates this. And I believe that they have gotten it correct. Because as you look at the original text and the original languages, a lot of translations will say that he descended into or how does, someone, how does yours read? Of. of. Lower regions of the earth. And it sounds like he went down into the earth. And for years, that has been used, this passage has been used to teach a lot of things that we're going to try to deal with tonight. Now, I'm going to just make a little caveat at the beginning of this. You may not agree with what I teach you tonight. And look at me. That's okay. My responsibility is to share with you what I believe the Bible teaches. And like I said in my prayer at the beginning, I know that God will hold me accountable for what I do. I, James chapter 3 says, not all of you should seek to be teachers. 
because we'll be held in higher accountability. I understand, and I take very serious the responsibility that God's given me. I don't take this lightly. So what I'm sharing with you tonight has come from really, really wrestling with the text. But we don't have to agree. This isn't one of those areas that we say, well, I'm going to break fellowship. I don't, Jim doesn't see it the way I see it. Let's not use this opportunity to cause division. Let's use this opportunity to try to see what the scriptures are saying and to see what the text is saying and look what the context is saying. And then we're going to check it against the whole of scripture and see if we get a correct interpretation. Remember, every time I want to remind you to get the correct interpretation, you got to look at context and then you got to check your interpretation against the whole of scripture. If that all matches up, you most likely have the right interpretation. So that's what I want to do tonight. I want to continue where we left off and I want to wrestle with this because it has been taught that Jesus descended into the lower regions of the earth, that he went down into the depths of the earth during his death, between his burial and his resurrection. I got to be honest with you, as I've heard this teaching and even taught it at time or two over the years myself in preaching and teaching God's word for the last 30 years. There's been something in my spirit that hasn't quite seemed right. And I wasn't sure what it was. And as I've, and I'm still learning, grown in my understanding of his word and learn how to wrestle with it some more and pray over it, God began to show me some things. And I just kind of want to just share those with you tonight. All right. So here's what we're going to do. I think a good translation would even be to put it this way, that he descended to the lower regions, namely the earth. I think that all this passage is just simply saying is, is that when he, he in order to ascend, he had to first descend to the earth. Because it was translated into the earth or in the lower regions of the earth, people just assumed that, oh, well, that means he had to go below the surface. Well, his body did in the sense that he was buried, but it was, it was actually just a tomb. It could even have been above the ground, but his body was put into the earth. But there has been teaching that Jesus, during that time that uh, he was in the tomb, between his death and his resurrection, he was down in the center of the earth because there's been a teaching. And by the way, I've looked to find out where this came from. And to be honest with you, it came from Jewish tradition. It came from Jewish tradition, later Jewish tradition, that there was an abode of the dead. And you're going to get into, we're not going to take the time to get into this full study, but there's the term Sheol and Abraham's bosom and paradise and Hades. And, and they, they began teaching that in the, because of this verse and because of that verse, they made this teaching that in the earth, in the center of the earth was this holding place where the dead all go. The righteous dead go to one half, called Abraham's bosom. The unrighteous dead go to the other half, called Hades. And they take from Luke 16, where Jesus tells the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, and how the, the rich man was buried, and he awoke in Hades, and Lazarus was carried into Abraham's bosom. And because it's pretty clear that Hades is in the, in the center of the earth, and the fact that they could see each other, or at least we know that Lazarus was, we don't know if Lazarus saw uh, the rich man, but the rich man could see Lazarus. They just assumed that the places were together, plus they use this verse here in Ephesians where it says he descended into the lower regions of the earth. And there's another passage in 1 Peter, which we'll get to a little bit later tonight. They began to teach that Jesus' death on the cross wasn't quite enough yet. He had to go down into the center of the earth and he was there for three days. And when he rose from the dead, he then took all the captives with him, those who were the righteous dead, and they were able to now go up. And now paradise has moved from the center of the earth to heaven. That's why Paul later, they say, says, I was taken up to paradise, the third heaven. And I got to see things. They said paradise used to be in the center of the earth. But if Jesus, when he rose from the dead, he took it with him 
up there. And that's where they try to use, he led the captives and all that. Go ahead. So when you say that it's a Jewish origination. Yes. No, no, Jewish, they, they, they wouldn't look at Ephesians. No, but they're, the interpretation of Ephesians 4 is not what I'm talking about, the Jewish tradition. The tradition just the fact that there was this holding place in the center of the earth. And that the righteous dead and the unrighteous dead go. They believed that they would just go because of passages where Abraham was told, you're going to go to be with your fathers. You know, when people died, they would say, you go to be with your fathers. And so they just said that there was this place in the center of the earth where, where people went. See, part of the problem with all of this, and like I said, folks, I'm giving you the Reader's Digest skimming version of this whole study, as Sheila and I were just talking about. You, you could spend the rest of your life digging into this thing. Part of the problem is, is you got words that are translated the same word, but their original word's not the same word. You got some word that is Hades, and you got other words that is Sheol, and you got another word that just simply means grave, and Sheol and the grave are not the same thing, yet people just translate it Sheol the grave, and you do the whole study, you'll find the original words not the same, and you really can't make them the same. But sometimes this is translated this, and sometimes that same word is translated that. And there's a lot of confusion about this. We're going to get somewhere by the end of the night. We're going to get somewhere. So I just want you to stick with me. <laughs> and my wife's over there. I sure hope so. You know, <laughs> we're going to get somewhere. But let me, let me show you where part of this problem came from. It came from a bad interpretation from the, new, from, from the King James translation. I have a King James here that I brought with me. I want to read to you uh, from John chapter 20, verse 17. Listen to what the King James says in John chapter 20, verse 17. This is, after, this is the morning that Jesus rose from the dead. And as you know, Mary meets him in the garden. And in verse 17, Jesus says this. He says, touch me not. This is in the garden. Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and your father and to my God and your God. And so what the preachers and teachers started doing was they said, look, Jesus said that Mary couldn't touch him. Because he hadn't yet ascended to the Father. This is proof that he had been in the belly of the earth, or he had been down in Sheol, the grave, the place of holding. And he hadn't yet offered his blood. And they say, as the high priest was not allowed to be touched or else he would become unclean until after he had offered the blood of the sacrifice, Jesus yet has not offered his blood. And therefore, he's not allowed to be touched because he hadn't gone to the Father yet. So he says to her, hey, don't touch me. I still have to go to the Father. That's what the teaching was. It's part of the problem. This is why you need to take your interpretation and check it against the whole of Scripture. Go with me in the King James, if you have one with you, to Matthew chapter 28. Same translation. Matthew 28. Matthew's account of Jesus with the women in the garden. In Matthew 28, look at verses 9 and 10. As they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail. And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Some of your translations say grasped him or clasped him, right? They grabbed him. Then Jesus said to them, But don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers that the, to go into Galilee, and there they shall see me. So here in Matthew's account, do they touch him? Yes. So can you teach from John 20 that he wasn't allowed to be touched yet because he hadn't... That, it can't be that he, hadn't, he couldn't be touched because in Matthew's, uh, cop, uh, sorry, Matthew's account, he was touched. I thought, um, 
I thought it was more of the clinging, like, I don't want to let everyone. That's exactly what that passed. Again, to. that's a better translation of what it is. And a lot of the newer translations have grabbed that and they've seen it. It was, don't hold on to me. Right. In other words, remember what he says in John 16? He says, it's good for you that I'm going away. Because when I go away, then I can come back in the form of the Spirit and be with you all. Right now, you've got to stand in line to spend time with me. Zacchaeus has got to climb a tree in order to be able to see me. The woman at the, uh, with the issue of blood has got to push through a crowd to even be able to touch me. It's good for you that I'm going away. Of course, they see him and they're like, we don't want you to leave. And he's like, don't hold on to me yet. I, want, I haven't gone to the Father. I don't believe that he was saying, I haven't yet offered my blood. And I'm going to show you scripturally, I believe he already had offered his blood. But he was just simply saying, you want to hold me here. When I ascend to the Father, you don't have to worry about needing time with Jesus. I'll always be with you. Go ahead. Because, you know, last week you had made uh, a comment. When he, when he said it is finished, it was finished. But there are still um, things that are playing out in the process. You know, it is finished and Satan is defeated and death is defeated. But he doesn't get chained up until right. the end of... And know, that's where we're going to end up. We're going to be dealing with that at the end of our study tonight. Because we're going to end to, as part of the problem that we're having here, is we're trying... God sees everything as now. And we're trying to make everything fit into time and space. And some things just don't. Some things just don't. And so that's why I'm going to tell you. So stick with me here so far. All right. So that now then let's just deal with what you just talked about. Go to John chapter 19, verse 30. Which, which we're going back to the ESV now. I just use the King James just on that one just to show you that for a long time we only had the King James as the English Bible. And for the longest time it said, don't touch me. And people taught that you couldn't touch him. But he was obviously touched in John chapter 19, verse 30. Jesus is on the cross, and this is what you were just talking about, though, Sheila, here. All right. Look at what it says here. When Jesus received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Now, again, and it says, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. For us, just reading that in English, we're missing something. The Greek word is tetelestai. And the Greek word tetelestai is actually, it's like an accounting term. And it could be translated, paid in full. All right, that's very important to where we're going here. And I'm going to show you that that corresponds with other scriptures. When Jesus died on the cross for the sins of man, at that moment when he said to tell us die, he didn't just make that word up or choose that word by accident. He said it's paid in full. Now, some of you grew up with the Apostles' Creed in your churches. And you remember the Apostles' Creed said that he descended into hell and then three days later he rose from the dead. And there's been this mindset that God still had to go suffer in hell. No, he can't still have to pay for sins if it's paid in full at that moment. But well, well, then he still had to go down there and he had to be in the center of the earth until his resurrection. I'm going to show you scripturally. I'm not so sure that that's the case. But again, let's just kind of walk our way through this. We also see in Luke 23, go to Luke 23, verses 43 through 46. Jesus is on the cross, and in Luke's account, we see about these two men on each side of him. And one changes his mind. If you do a study of this, you'll find that at one point, they were both making fun of him. The Bible is very clear that they both mocked him. 
But during the time on the cross, one of the thieves who were being crucified with him changes his mind about who Jesus is. And he turns to him and he says, remember me when you go into your kingdom. And as Jesus was telling, promising him that he would be forgiven, look at how he words it in Luke chapter 23, verse 43 through 46. He said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me, where? In paradise. Now again, the people that think paradise is in the center of the earth at this moment, Say, well, that's fine, because he was just going to go down to the center of the earth with Jesus until it was time for him to ascend. And then he took that half of Sheol, he took that half up with him, and now paradise is in heaven. I'm not so sure that's what the Bible teaches, and we're going to get to that in just a little bit. But again, then he keeps, keep reading. Verse 44, it was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus says, Father, I'm going to you. Are we going to put God the Father down in the center of the earth? No, I wouldn't. But again, like I said, some of you may say, Jim, I'm not sure. I still disagree. That's okay. This is one of those good things where you can realize it's good for us to wrestle with these things, but this will be a great opportunity for us to really prove that we really do have a relationship and love the Lord, we love each other when we don't always see things the same way. See, for years, it used to bother me that we didn't always see things the same way until I started to realize how much the Bible talked about one's going to see it this way, one's going to see it that way. Each should be fully convinced in their own mind. You shouldn't look down on your brother who sees it differently than you. And actually, it's one of a, a greater testimony to the reality of Christ within us when the world says they might not even see it the same, but they love each other. Amen. But you know what happens in our churches today? As you drive up and down the street, you'll see those that don't get along with those people are going to worship at 830. Those that don't get along with those because of verse 6, I'll worship at 11. It's kind of a sad thing. So, but see, God is everywhere. Yeah, He is well, everywhere. He's everywhere. It doesn't yeah. matter where you go. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. That's so, true. But keep, stick with me here. But that, that's a really good point. Because even says that, David says that in Psalm 139. If I go here, you're there. If I go there, you're there. God is everywhere. Now, Go with me, though, to Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 26. Again, from what I understand, and again, I'm putting, you, putting it in these words. I don't see a need, nor scriptural teaching, or scriptural backing, for Jesus to spend the time between his death and resurrection in the belly of the earth. I don't see him a need scripturally in, from text that says he had to be in the belly of the earth for those three days. All right? And look at Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 26. It says, when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. 
for a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way he sprinkled with blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus, he's just used all that to set up what he's about to say now. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with the blood not his own. For then he would have had to have suffered repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by what? The sacrifice of himself. How did he appear? How did he offer his blood? At his death. At the Look at chapter 10, verse 10. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. I believe the Bible teaches that at the moment Jesus died, at the moment he cried out paid in full, that is when through the eternal spirit he offered his blood on behalf of us. So that's why I still wrestle with it, but he still has to go into the belly of the earth for three days. And then when he rises, then he takes people. And you're going to see, I have some other scriptural reasons why I still wrestle with the fact that Old Testament saints had to be in a place of confinement until this time. Because the, the teaching is kind of this. They're righteous, but they can't be in the presence of God yet because Jesus hasn't died for their sins yet. And he hasn't risen from the dead yet. So they go in a holding place until that time. You see how we're trying to put everything in time and space? And so he dies, and he has to go into the belly of the earth for three days, and then he rises from the dead, and that's when he takes the right side, or the righteous side of, of, of Sheol, and he takes it up, and now paradise is no longer in the belly of the earth, paradise is in heaven. It doesn't seem to match with the scripture that teaches, well, look back here in chapter 9, verse 26. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly, when? Since the foundation of the world. This is important, because we're going to come to this at the end of our study tonight. Because I'm going to show you that Scripture actually teaches that Jesus was slain, not just on the cross, but actually in the mind of God, he was slain when? Before the foundations of the earth. In the mind of God, Jesus' death was so sure, because he sees it all as now, before the world was even created, he died. He, what? He planned it all. And so when God sees it all as now, I wrestle with the fact that God would say, even though it's all done, you see what I'm saying? So again, you may disagree with me. That's okay. And I'll look you right in the eye and say, I'm still learning. But I'm not so sure, and I'm going to show you some other reasons why, I'm not so sure that Ephesians 4 is saying that he acted, well, I know that Ephesians 4 is not saying that he went into the earth because that's not what the text says. Yes, ma'am. We're going to head there next. We're going to be go there next because we're going to look at that passage as well. And you're going to see uh, we're going to we're going to do that as we're going to look at that passage. That's in first Peter chaptor three. And we're going to head there. The yes. So do we not believe that there were captives that actually went with Jesus? Uh, 
Well, I, well here, here's the thing. What, I mean, let me clarify your question. What do you mean by these captives that went with him before his death and resurrection? Meaning that they died before, and that he's actually taking those who had died before because they didn't go to heaven. Why not? As far as, um, Why didn't they go to heaven? Because well, okay. they hadn't been washed I'm going <laughs> to show you scripturally they were. Yes, if you you're right and you're correct, stick with me. We're gonna walk our. We're gonna end up there. Go ahead. I'm thinking of the Mount of Transfiguration. That's where we're heading next. That's where we're heading next. Man, you guys are way ahead of me. I love that. Go with me to Luke chapter nine. Go to Luke chapter nine. Here's a, here, go to Luke chapter nine. Look at verses Luke nine verses twenty eight through thirty one. By the way, I love the fact that as you guys are sitting here, your brains are now going hundred miles an hour about these different scriptures that God is bringing to your mind about this issue. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's what Bible study is. That's what meditating on the Word of God is about. And this, here's how I put it in my notes. If Jesus had to be confined in the center of the earth until his resurrection, how come Moses and Elijah got to get out of confinement on the Mount of Transfiguration? Luke chapter 9, look at verses 28. And in the presence of God. Yeah, well, yeah, again. I love the fact that you're ahead of me. That's great. Luke, Luke 9, 21 through 38. Look at what, what it says here. It says, now about, the, about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James, and he went up on the mountainside to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory. And look closely what it says here. And spoke of his departure, what was about to be, to be accomplished at Jerusalem. Here all of a sudden we got Moses and Elijah who are there on the Mount of Transfiguration. And all of that, they seem to know a lot about what's going on. It doesn't appear that they've been in confinement in the center of the earth. They know what's going on. Well, let me show you another example of that. Go to John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, verses 56 through 59. Jesus is talking about, the, he's about to say that he's God. And they're going to pick up stones to kill him. And in verse 56 of John 8, it says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You're not even 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus himself hid him and went out to the temple. Now listen. What did Jesus just say? He said, Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. And they go, wait a minute. We know what you just said. You'd say you've seen Abraham. Yeah, I saw him. But at the same time, they read it as you've seen Abraham. You've seen Abraham. And then he said, before Abraham was born, I am. And he used the name of God, which God had given Moses when Moses said, what's your name? He says, my name is I am. Think about the fact that the Bible says in Genesis chapter 5 that Enoch walked with God and was no more because what? God took him. Did he take him down to a place of confinement? Until, the pro or did he bring him to be with him? Folks, we're trying to read things into Scripture. And part of the problem, this is all launched from Ephesians 4, where the translation said he went into the lower parts of the earth. I think the passage just simply says he descended to the lower regions, namely the earth. That's what it says in the text. Go ahead.
Anyway, he says to Peter, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Right. Meaning the gates wouldn't hold because they're going to be stormed through. Right. Well, so what if you did? well we're going to get to, that's the first Peter passage. We're going to get to that part. There's still a possibility that the Bible teaches that he does go down to that part. But again, to be there, for, had to be there for so many days and then he can leave. Right. But, oh, and I think the Bible does teach that he does go down in a sense. We're going to get to that. Go ahead. Philippians 2, um, 10. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and mm -hmm. of those on earth. And of those, those under, under the earth. earth. Right. Again, there's still a so been there's, a teach. There's something going there's on. There's definitely something under the earth. And I can say, I, I, the Bible does seem to point that that's where the, the souls of the unrighteous dead are being held until. Well, and the Bible, Bible talks that Hades, they come out. Yes, demonic spirits as well. As well, The Bible says that there's a, that Hades at the great white throne judgment, all those who are in Hades are going to come up before the great white throne and then go into the lake of fire. There definitely is a place of confinement for the unrighteous dead. I'm saying... I don't see scripturally where the righteous dead had to be in confinement, even though it was a nicer half until a certain time. Because it doesn't appear that scripturally that God's bound by time in this way. That sounds more like a concept of purgatory. It, it, again, this is all kind of developed over time from a little bit of scripture that is misinterpreted and from tradition. And that's a good point there. All right, so let's go to that passage everybody's saying. 1 Peter chapter 3. But wait, I wrote in my notes. But wait, Jim, what about 1 Peter 3, 18 and 19 that talk about Jesus through His Spirit preaching to the spirits in prison? Now, we're going to go back to this passage and we're going to do a couple of things. First thing we're going to do is, remember, we're going to look at context. And then after we look at context, what are we going to do? Check that against the whole of Scripture. And not only that... You're going to do like I did and go back and look over our notes from 1 Peter. Remember when we studied 1 Peter? We're going to take a look at that too. Go ahead. I don't know if I'm getting behind or ahead, but. That's fine. Did you, did you, did you happen to look at uh, Robertson's uh, commentary on this particular verse? I have not. Mm -mm. It mentioned that uh, he called it a, a, a genitive of apposition, lower parts and earth. Right. It's kind of like President Washington. Right. You know? That honestly, I did read those words. I just most of nobody here would, under, would understand what you're saying, but that's a good explanation of it. It is th that passage there, and you're talking Ephesians chapter four, lower parts and the earth. It's a genitive, like you said, a genitive apposition, and that's weird. I don't even understand that stuff. Like, right. Like General, General Washington. General is an apposition of Washington. Right. A title, but it's also a noun. Exactly. And so that's what that passage back in the Ephesians passage, chapter four, when it says the lower parts, the earth, it's the same thing. It's not lower parts of the earth. It's the same thing, like you just said. And that's, like I say, I didn't read Robinson's, but I read the Net Bible's study on that. And they brought out that exact same thing. And they said is the Net Bible wrestles with how do we interpret this from looking at all these different things and their commentaries on why we chose the words we chose. And they brought out that same thing, that they don't believe it's saying in the earth or of the earth. It's saying, namely, the earth. So I'm glad you brought that out. Go to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 and 19. It says, For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Now, this is one of those tricky, tricky passages because as you remember in our study of First Peter, we had to kind of 
work through it slowly. But as we look at the context, we're not going to take the time to turn there, but if you look at the context of 1 Peter chapter 3, you'll see that Peter is really kind of encouraging the believers to stand strong under suffering, that God is going to want to use them in the way that they respond to suffering as an example to the people that are attacking them and the opposition that they're under, okay? And as you go back and look at the verses just before, we'll just look at verse 14 and following right before that. It says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, 1 Peter 3, 14, even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you'll be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ, as Lord, or Christ the Lord as holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, for it is better to suffer for doing good that it, if that should be God's will than for doing evil. You hear what he said in the context. He says, look, you're going to be under attack because of your faith. You're going to be under opposition and you're going to be persecuted. But you're also going to have people that are going to be asking you to give reason for the hope that's within you. In other words, God's going to be preaching through you as you respond appropriately to this suffering. Did you catch that? God's going to be preaching through you as you respond appropriately to this suffering. And then he says, for Christ also suffered and he died. But through his spirit, he preached. But now we have to kind of wrestle with who did he preach? Well, well let's, let's back up. What or how did he preach? There's two options here. He preached either through Noah and his family. In other words, he's saying here, talking about those spirits are in prison now because of the judgment at the time of Noah. He, he, he either preached, Jesus preached somehow, and we're going to get to that in a second. He preached either to, or sorry, through Noah and his family as they were righteous to do the righteous thing, as they were building the ark for 120 years, and as everybody was making fun of them and everybody was persecuting them. He either preached through them at that time or... By his spirit directly, he went and preached. So those are the two options of the interpretation of this passage. He preached either through Noah at the time of Noah's day to the people of Noah's day, and they didn't listen. Or he preached by his own spirit. Now, who did he preach to? Well, there's two options. Again, it's either the wicked of Noah's day, the people of Noah's day, or he preached to the fallen angels of Genesis 6. We know that there are spirits in prison that are being bound, that there were a certain group that left their position that God had given them. They cohabited with women and made babies. I mean, this is what the Bible says real clearly in Genesis chapter 6. And then those angels were not allowed to be demons in the earth like the others. They were immediately put into a place of torment and a place of confinement in the center of the earth. Bible calls it, the, in, in the book of Judas, the word Tartarus, which is translated their, their place of confinement. So either Jesus preached through Noah at the time of Noah's day to those people, humans, or he's gone and preached to the spirits, who are the angels, who are demons, who left their position, and he either went and preached to them. So those are our two options right now. Now let's look at the third thing. What did he preach? Okay, we've already seen how he could have preached, either through Noah or through his spirit directly. Who does he preach to? It's either he preached to the, the wicked people of Noah's day, or he preached to the spirits, the, the demons that have left their position. But now we have to deal with, okay, with these two options, what did he preach? He, if it was the people of Noah's day, it was an offer of salvation, which they rejected. Does Jesus... According to Scripture, is Jesus going to go during his death and, and resurrection and preach another offer of salvation to these people? No. There, the Bible is very clear. There is no such thing. Once you die, it's been decided. Now, at the same time, he could have preached through Noah and his family at that time, if that's what this is saying. And I lean in that direction. But also, he could have come, come and proclaimed victory 
over the spirits. Leading the captive captive. Right, but here's the deal. When you say leading the captive captive, is he now releasing people who are the righteous to, out of where they're confinement? No. Okay, very good. The captive mm -hmm. are the demonic... The Mm -hmm. The demonic spirits, because what caused the flood mm -hmm. was, you know, tremendous sin. Right. And there was only eight righteous, which is Noah. Mm -hmm. So the Lord is, is saying, you know, the Lord is being, when once the divine long-suffering waited, how, how mm -hmm. 120 years, whatever it was, in the day of Noah, all those demonic spirits that had come down and mated with the women to, you know, screw up the bloodline and all of that stuff, you know, Put back into you know their chambers for another day or but the thing is is, is but no that's the thing is is they already were immediately put into confinement and have been yes. so he he's not taking them anywhere the the passage in, in ephesians says he he led them in his train he's taken them with him i think the passage in ephesians as we looked at last week is actually talking when he takes the captives captive those of us who have been captive because of sin we become his treasure and he right. takes us with him now, unfortunately, people have taken that truth, which I think is a good interpretation of it, but they've said that they were in this place of holding, and now he could take them out of there. I don't think that's what it's saying. I think that's adding too much to it. So whether you think Jesus during this time went down and preached victory to the angels who are in torment and it's going to stay there until the final judgment, or whether or not he preached through Noah in his day, I think in the context of this passage, as you keep reading, I think he was just simply saying that just in the same way in which Jesus preached through Noah by his spirit and Noah's righteousness, and you need to, Christians, under your suffering and your persecution, be willing to let God preach through you. Again, it could be that during that time that he went and down, but he doesn't need three days to preach that sermon. You see what I'm saying? He could just show up, say, hey, it's done. But he doesn't have to go. Like I say, all I'm wrestling with right now is this mindset that he had to be in confinement until the time of his resurrection. And there's a couple other things that God began to open my eyes to. Here's our problem. We keep trying to look at things in time and space when God is looking at things from an eternal perspective, from beyond time and space, which were, by the way, created. Time and space didn't exist always. They were created. So I'm going to take you to a passage that I've never looked at in this way, but look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. Now, I want you to stick with me here and don't run too far with this. 2 Timothy chapter 1, look at verses 8 through 11. Paul says in 2 Timothy 1 verse 8, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus when he died on the cross and rose from the dead? Before time began. Look at what it says there, guys. Now, again, we don't want to run to this one side of the scale that says, oh, God's already determined who's going to be saved. No, the Bible says God knows. Man, you cannot remove man's responsibility. You cannot remove the fact that God says, Oh, Jerusalem, if you would only let me, I would have. Yet, does God know that he wouldn't, that they wouldn't? Yes. But look at what it says here. God gave us grace before the world began. 
We don't have to wait until a certain time to receive his forgiveness. Think about the fact that in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, when Abraham believed God, God gave him what? He gave him righteousness. And Paul even uses that in his teaching in Romans chapter 4, that it's just by faith and God just imputes righteousness, gives it to you. Think about Jesus, who's God, as he walks around on the earth. He says to these people, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees are like, whoa, 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 hang on for a second. Who can forgive sins? Only God. But what did Jesus say? He didn't say, you know, if you'll just wait until I die and wait until I rise from the dead, then you'll be. No, he said, your sins are forgiven. What did Jesus say in John chapter 15 when he's teaching them, I'm the vine and you're the branches? Around verse 3, he says this, you're already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Had he died yet? No. So be careful of trying to make God's work of salvation fit into a chronology. Folks, the Bible's pretty clear that, well, we know in Revelation 13, 8, that he was the lamb slain when? Before the foundation of the earth. In the mind of God, it's all now. So if God knows that his son is going to die for the sins of the world and he's going to rise from the dead and God knows that you're going to respond in faith, God sees you in that condition. He's you're forgiven. There's no Abraham and the other Old Testament saints. I don't see why they had to go to a place of confinement until. No, they were righteous because of the mind of God and the work of Christ, which has already been done. Yes, in time and space. But what does the scripture say? Well, you'll see why. Well, look at what it says here. Look at verse 10. I'm going to read verse 9 again. Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought to life, brought, sorry, and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle. He said, look, it's already been given to you through Christ before the world even began. God's grace has already been given to you. God already sees you as forgiven. Now, at the same time, he had to do it in time and space so that we could see it and respond to it. But did it happen when you trusted him or you received it? But in the mind of God, he already knew. This is where it starts to get real hard for us. And that's why we start setting ourselves up into our free will and predestination and Calvinism and Arminianism camps and all this stuff. And did God give me faith before I had faith or did I have faith and then God regenerate me or did God regenerate me? And then I had faith. Oh, folks, stop trying to figure God out and just thank him for what the Bible says, that if you believe that Jesus died for your sins and he rose from the dead and God will give you righteousness, you'll be saved. Well, when did it happen? I don't know. I don't care. I'm saved. We're getting too smart for ourselves. We're getting too big for our own britches. And we're filling the websites with all of these argumentative proofs of how I know how it happens. And I've got my proof text in this. Listen to Jim Johnson. Listen to Just a Preacher. I don't know how it all works. And I don't even fully understand the depth of all this stuff. But I can tell you this much. I'm forgiven. Let me show you. Let's, let's just go back to Ephesians 1. Jim, we can almost speculate that time had not began before sin entered the world by one man due to the fact that we didn't need grace before the sin entered the world. Yeah, but God knew that we would need grace because he, he knew. He knew the man was, he made the whole world knowing man was going to. But again, that goes back to God's, well, let's read it. Paul actually says it. You know, 
there are heavenly bodies watching. Yes. Well, you're, man, Sheila, you are, you've been reading my notes. You've been reading my notes. I read the good word. <laughs> that's right. That's, well, that's my notes. All right. Listen to Ephesians chapter one again, folks. Now with everything we've just looked at, you know, Ephesians four is not saying that he descended into the lower regions of the earth. It's pretty clear from the actual text itself. It never said that. People have tried to read that. It just said he descended to the earth and that he ascended. Listen closely. The passage in Ephesians 4 is just simply saying he who ascended is the one who descended to the earth first. And when he ascended, he gave gifts to everybody. But why did he give gifts? He gave it for the purposes of his power working through those of us who are his who receive these gifts so that God could control what's going on in the world and the universe through those people who are surrendered to him and using the gifts that he's given each of us. That's all it said. We've tried to turn it into all this other stuff. It never said that. Now, with that in mind, let's go back and look at the passages we've already looked at and tell me how they don't explode in our minds now. Ephesians 1 verses 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him when? Before, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have attained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. We keep seeing that over and over. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory in him. You also, when you heard of the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire, acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. I don't know about you, but that's pretty deep, isn't it? But one thing that keeps coming out is this has all been planned before the foundation of the world. God's already seen it all ahead of time. He's working it out in his time, in his way. He's given salvation to those who believe in him. Oh, by the way, he knew you were going to trust in him. At the same time, he then has given us his spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. And what's the purpose of his will? That sometime it's going to, for all time, be, everything's going to be centered. Things on earth, things in heaven, things everywhere are going to be centered in and through Jesus Christ. And then we sit around trying to say, well, I know how God does it. It's this way and then that. And folks, I got some strong opinions on how the second coming is going to come and the rapture. And when I think if it's pre-trib, post-trib, all that stuff. I, and I, I, you know what? I'm not going to fight with you over it because you know what? God <laughs> is going to do it. He said he's coming back and I know he's coming back. And the way in which he comes back, you might not see it the way I see it. But you know what? That shouldn't make a difference because there's one Lord, one body, one faith, one baptism, one spirit. And in the context of all this, God says, you're a part of a huge plan. Stop thinking you've got it figured out and just be willing to live the life God has for you. 
and you find out what gifts he's given you and you exercise those gifts according to what he has in mind. Oh, and as you're about to find out, he gave you the church some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastor teachers to equip you for the work of the ministry so that we might all come to the fullness of Christ, that we would no longer be tossed to and fro by every wind of teaching and cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming, but we'll all grow up into him who is the head because it's all going to be about him. And each, the body's going to build itself up as each part does its work. That's where we're going, by the way, in Ephesians chapter 4. You might think we haven't gotten there because I haven't read it yet, but I have. <laughs> But look at what Sheila just said as well. Look at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. Of this gospel, Paul says, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. In other words, that's what God gave me to do, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Do You see the eternal purpose again. Is there a possibility that Jesus, after he died on the cross, went and proclaimed victory to the, the spirits in prison? Sure. Did he preach through Noah and his family as Noah was righteous in his day to the people of his day? Sure did. What did he do during his death and resurrection? I don't know. And he didn't tell us. But I can tell you this much. I don't think that he had to go to a place of confinement. I believe the Bible teaches that God's already seen it all. And Abraham was given righteousness. Enoch walked with God and God took him. We see Jesus saying that Abraham saw him and he saw Abraham. We see that the Bible talks about how Moses and Elijah appear in the Mount of Transfiguration. And they seem to know a lot about what's going on. I don't get the impression that we have to put everything into a time and space order. I think the Bible teaches that all those who are righteous, they be with God. Now the Bible says that there are going to be some things that he's still going to work out that haven't happened yet. But at the same time... There has been over the years this teaching that you may still believe in and you're okay to do so. But as my responsibility of walking you through this book and sharing with you what I think, I really felt like I had to spend last week and this week dealing with this one passage that over the years has been used to teach this one doctrine that I'm not sure is accurate. Yes, ma'am. Um, where did the, the teaching or the belief come from where... Um when Isaac went down to Egypt, you know, bring my bones back out when Joseph and, and the children of Israel left Egypt to bring my... Or oh, you're you talking Joseph. back in the mind of the Jew as to yeah. why he wanted his... Well, part of it was they really believed that the Bible says that they would be resurrected. And you even see Mary and Martha saying, hey, I know Lazarus will resurrect at the resurrection at the last day. He'll rise again then. And, and, all. There was, and so they also knew that God had promised them that they were going to be given that land. And they wanted to rise again from that land. They knew that God says that sometime in the future this is going to be given to you and all this stuff. As you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they lived as strangers in tents. They never got, the land wasn't given to them during that time. And so they had such a belief that God was going to rise them from the dead at the final resurrection. They wanted it to happen and they thought their bones were necessary for that to happen. They wanted it to happen in that land. And so they just simply said, hey, bring my bones to that land, because when the resurrection comes, I want it to happen there. Did they understand about 
life after death and heaven and now, because that's why you got the Pharisees and the Sadducees fighting with each other over. The Sadducees said there was no resurrection, that there wasn't any such thing. Pharisees believed there were. So there were a lot of misunderstandings about those things. And so part of that is where that mindset came, bring my bones and put them in Israel, if you will, or in that land, because they wanted to rise again on that piece of property. All right. All right. Are there questions or thoughts before we wrap up here? The great thing I get out of this is I know that in the end he said we're not of this world, but he said it will be revealed what will be with us when it is revealed with Jesus. What's that verse? Uh, and we will know him for who he is. Yes. First John chapter things. three. Yes. We're we're, know it all. Right now we see through a glass darkly and one day we'll we see face to face and we'll know. him. So I, that's the whole thing. We just got to relax. Hey. If you want to wrestle with the scripture and you think you've got a doctrine and you think you understand it, that's fine. Don't get into contentiousness over, well, you don't see it the way I see it. Go ahead, Jim. I was just going to say one thing that always got me is when you look at the seven days of creation and all of a sudden you look at the seventh day. Uh, you know, God uh, wasn't lazy, but when he rested... Later on, we see are you, you know, that you enter into his rest. Yes. Buddy, on the seventh day, he knew it was all taken care of. Well, and actually, and there's a... That, well, there's a scripture that actually says that at that time, Book of Hebrews puts it this way, he rested from all his works. Period. And that makes it hard for us. But how could Jesus say it's finished now if he's already rested? Again, stop trying to figure things out in time and space that are bigger than your head. Stop trying to put things into time and space that God never intended to put in time and space. When, when did Jesus die? Did he die 2,000 years ago or did he die before the foundation of the world? Yes. The answer is yes. Well, it's interesting. Our concept of time was put in on the fourth day. Yes. The sun and the moon when yep. land and everything else was done before that. So yep. there's got to be a lot more. Oh, folks. The light of the world is... I'm learning. One of my best answers over the years as I've gotten older is, I don't know. Do you want to know? Nah. You know how many people, you know in Revelation, I'm going to wrap up with this. You know in Revelation where John, the seven thunders speak, and John starts to write down what they said, and the angel says, no, you're not to write that down. That's not to be known. You would not believe how many people have asked me, what did the seven thunders say? <laughs> we are not supposed to know. But we want to figure it all out. I want to tell you, stop trying to figure it all out and believe what has been revealed. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, the things revealed to us and to our children. When someone all of a sudden thinks they've got it all figured out because they've got this piece of the puzzle and then this piece over here and they've got, and they put it all together for their doctrine, watch out. That's, a cult. That's where a lot of cults came from. A lot of false teachers have done those kinds of things. Let's just stick with what is revealed. And like I said, do you want to be kept free from falling into those? Because those people are convincing. We've seen people be convinced, have we not? How do we do it? We get our interpretation from the context. And then from there, we check that interpretation against the whole of Scripture. And a lot of these things that have been taught over the years by false teachers and cults, if you check it against the whole of Scripture, as we did tonight, you'll see, wait a minute, that can't be right. And the Word always confirms itself. And the Word will always confirm itself. Because you have separated yourself from the knowledge of Christ. You yep. tried to go above Him. Yep. Yes, ma'am. Go ahead. We're not being children. Any chance you want to do the rapture and revelations on your cruise? 
Well, that's a possibility. Let me pray for us and we'll, we can wrestle with that. Father, I thank you so much for the fact that if we really will let you just speak to us, you can relax us and you do. <laughs> I think about the fact that you had to calm people down so often because our flesh wants to run ahead and we get anxious or we, we get too smart for ourselves or like Peter, we say, Lord, I'm not going to let that happen to you. I'm not going to let you die. And we think we know. Well, Lord, we don't know. But Lord, we do know this much. Your word is very clear that if we believe and we looked at this last week, if we'll believe that you died for our sins, and you rose from the dead, you'll give us eternal life. How that all comes about, when and Lord, we, you said it would and we believe you. And if we could believe any more, we would. So we just trust you. And as we saw last week, a seven-year-old who knows you as their Savior is in the same faith as a 70-year-old who's a Bible scholar. Lord, keep us rooted in your truth, in the love of your word. Lord, may we, like tonight, I love how so many people just kept, so what about this scripture and that scripture? Lord, may we keep reading your word and studying your word so that we'll know what it says so that we won't be tossed to and fro. And Lord, I can't wait till next week when we start looking into your gifts of the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastor teachers to equip the body for the works of the ministry so that we'll grow up into you and we won't be tossed to and fro. Lord, thank you for the fact that that's happening in this time. And we look forward to seeing what happens as we continue to get to know you better and keep the reins on us too, myself included. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.